As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Power Hour. It is the first Tuesday edition of Power Hour, the show, not just the segment. We'll be here every Tuesday with me, your host, Nicole Auerbach, National College football reporter at The Athletic. And I will be joined most weeks by Michael Felder from Stadium, who's here with me today. And when he's not, it'll be Chris Vanini, a National College football reporter at The Athletic. So that will be the rotating cast. We will be here on Tuesdays on this feed. Andy, as always, back on Wednesdays. And Felder, I am thrilled to have you here as we discuss the world of college football and we go up to an hour, whatever we need for for, uh, our very first power hour. Yeah, well, listen, sometimes you don't make it through a real power hour. So I'm excited to (laughs) I'm excited to knock it out. It's cool to work with you. Obviously, we've done some work in the past together. So it's fun to have kind of a at least a semi routine to get into to talk about college football and talk about all the stuff that we're hearing, we're seeing what we're doing, all those things. I'm really excited. Well, in, 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 in a different world, we would be recording this together, possibly over an actual power hour. Um, we are both in Chicago. We have hung out. And, and Felder is kind of the king of social distancing because you, you just you don't like people that much to begin with. But you've got like the craziest setup. You've got now a projector. You know, you've obviously already had the grill. I saw that water table play <laughs> thing that you have for your daughter. I mean... I feel like you are thriving right now, and football's back, yeah. so you are just like thriving in all areas. Football's back, and listen, I'm still, I have to go into the studio one day a week uh, for stadium at watchstadium.com to uh, get to do the Saturday morning show, but other than that, I'm at home. I bought myself a new monitor so I can have a, a three-screen setup with the two laptops. I've got the kid, the kids play stuff. I've got my play stuff. I've really <laughs> gone all in on the, from a tech standpoint of just like upping my game, the Peloton now, so... It's all, yes. I'm, I don't have to leave my house. I'm, 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 I, I do, I watch the football, but I watch it at home the way that I usually do. So it's, um, the, the rest of my life has just been elevated. Well, I am very excited because, you know, we will get your perspective on, on all things throughout mm-hmm. this podcast. But um, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes uh, for as many former college football players there are in sports media, 
we don't always get that exact angle. So I'm really excited, um, you know, to have your perspective on issues of the day and also some of the X's and O's that we'll break down. Um, so let's just start with, with some of the news headlines. Um, we're recording this Tuesday morning. The big news happened overnight that Penn State star running back Journey Brown may not be able to play this season due to a health condition. We'll probably get more information from James Franklin later on Tuesday. That will certainly impact the Big Ten um, if he's not able to play. Also in the Big Ten, Jeff Brom, Purdue's head coach, test positive. He will miss Purdue's opener against Iowa. Um, also on Monday, Puka opted out of the season for Kansas to go closer to be with his mom, um, who's dealing with a health issue. We also can assume that Les Miles will be back on the sideline after his bout with COVID-19 for Kansas this weekend. And Baylor has returned to action in practice after their own outbreak. So there's a lot going on, especially as we head into the Big Ten season opening weekend this weekend. And I don't know about you, but it feels like it totally snuck up on us. For, for all the attention we, pl- we spent on, like, is the Big Ten going to play or not, it's finally here, and it's like, wow, it's, it's, it's finally here. Yeah, I, I think that's the reality of the space, right? Where we've spent the last, this is what, this is technically week eight. When it, if you go to like college press box or whatever, it's t- listed as week eight, but it's week one for them. The problem is, and, and different from every other season, is it's been, I've had, I don't know about you, but I've had a really rough time tracking who's opted out, who's opted, who's opted out and then opted back in. Who never? (laughs) It's been a hodgepodge of all this stuff, and the other part of it, and I think hopefully this kind of gets folks a little behind the scenes of kind of how the sausage is made from a media standpoint. Uh, In addition to helping folks kind of build a a better football fan and build a smarter fan, the other part of it is is that usually when guys are opting out or guys are being or guys are injured or whatever's going on, it's all happening at the same time in that fall camp area, and everyone's doing it. And you have every all the beat reporters are out at practice, and now it's really tough to have that. I know that you guys are dealing with that at the athletic, not being able to get out to all these practices because they don't want more people there. So it's been very interesting to see how it all shakes out. Um, For me, if I'm looking at kind of the four bits that you just put down, looking at Journey Brown being out, that's a really hard loss. Um, Like that puts a lot of pressure on this offense and what they're going to be able to do. I think that Puka obviously recognized that Kansas is not going to turn it around this year. Uh, In addition to wanting to be closer to his mother, I think that's that makes sense. Yeah. And then you throw the fact that Baylor's, is going to get to play another football game, finally. Uh, That's good. But I I think that Jeff Brom is probably the most intriguing one for me because this is game one. This is game one, and your head coach isn't going to be there, which means the guy who, at least in theory, is supposed to be the smartest guy on your staff, isn't going to be there to help you make adjustments throughout the game. Oh, by the way, we didn't really have a true fall camp, so this is going to be the odds are stacked against them, Nicole. Yeah, and, and I think, too, when you have such little wiggle room in the Big Ten, um, which I, I don't think we can harp on that enough. I mean, that is going to be the biggest change here with this league coming back, is you have no bye weeks to reschedule games to, and you have a 21-day minimum required period of time for athletes to be out after they test positive. So Jeff Brom is only under a 10-day isolation protocol, CDC protocols, so Assuming he recovers in 10 days and then has 24 hours without symptoms, he'll be able to coach for the second game. Players, it's going to be a different story, especially once we have a star player test positive. But to me, that's where, like, you don't really have that much time to 
uh, harp on Jeff Brom not being there against Iowa. Like, they, they don't really have time to make excuses or to adapt back from that. I mean, it's just there's there's no room for error. And um, let, let's start in the West because we're talking about Brom. Um, I mean, to me, and it, the, the major storyline here is how good is Wisconsin going to be? They lost a lot of pieces. And it's, it's, it's like, is this a year where a team like Purdue that we do like to talk about sometimes as a potential dark horse – is this a year where you're going to have actual competition for winning the West? Well, that's going to be it's it's interesting because of the replace replacements. And I I will say this: I am you know, and I'm a strong Minnesota head over here. So I um I, I think that they've got something that can be really special. I think with Wisconsin having to replace pieces, they are in a position where Tanner Morgan and Rashad Bateman's back, which I think is really cool. So for me, when I look at what we're going to get out of Wisconsin. The number two or the dark horse number one, if you if so, is it has to be Minnesota. And then um, I guess after that, we talk Purdue. I think that Minnesota's ahead of Purdue, though. And this is going to be an interesting take because you mentioned no wiggle room. you got to come out of the gate hot. And I think that does bode well for a guy like Tanner Morgan who has a quick trigger. Plus, he has not his favorite. Tyler Johnson was his, be- his favorite receiver from a year ago, but his second favorite option now becomes option number one. Yeah, and, and getting Bateman back, I mean, it's right up there with, with, with Rondell Moore getting back in, yep. in, in those two. I mean, the Big Ten, you talked about opt-outs and opt-back in. A lot of those star players opted back in. So I, I do think it's going to be really fun out west. So let's flip over and talk about the east because I think the east is, is obviously a very nationally relevant division. And, and the big question there is, you know, can anyone close the gap on Ohio State? The Journey Brown news might impact that. Certainly a lot of people think Penn State has the talent to be, you know, the second best team in the league. And and we always sort of come out of that game every year saying, okay, what about that gap, though? You know, Michigan, you've got Joe Milton. Can he be the quarterback finally for Jim Harbaugh that he needs? What are your thoughts on on the East? Uh, I mean, obviously, Ohio State is the favorite. Uh, I know. You, I talked to Andy Staples a little while ago. He's wondering, he's like, they're the team that probably is going to have to get into the playoff for the Big Ten to make it into the playoff. And uh, whether it's Fields, Sean Wade, opt back in. Wyatt Davis, opt back in. They've got pieces. I'm very curious to see as they break in a new starter at the running back. Master Teague looked well um, over the course of the season. Now let's see him. Let's see when you get the keys to the car. Let's see how you drive it. So this is going to be really interesting to see uh, the linebacker group make plays for them. I, I think Ohio State becomes the class. In my house, we have a vested interest in Michigan State uh, because my wife went there and then her cousin played there. So I'm very curious to see what they look like. Uh, Jacob Panishev, he opted back in. So they get another piece of that defense that they really like. This is going to be an interesting uh, case, especially specifically test case for Mel Tucker because he's a coach who was already hired late and then bang, Pandemic hits, so you don't get spring. I wonder what this team look, looks like. Sam Pittman has done a pretty miraculous job at Arkansas, and I know we'll talk about that at some point, but I think that this is a different circumstance, and I wonder what this looks like. Same as Carl Durrell, who's hired late at Colorado, or Nick Rolovich, who's hired late at, at Washington State. So to me, I look at Mel Tucker as an interesting test case because he doesn't have the install or the systems in place that we see at Ohio State, obviously, but also at Penn State, even losing Journey Brown, they they already they still have guys who know the offense and know the defense and know what they're supposed to do. Uh, at Michigan, and I know that uh, you mentioned Joe Milton, and 
I'm gonna tell you something. When I saw Joe Milton out at the Elite Eleven, goodness gracious, I'm, was that 2016 or 2017? Big kid, physical kid, can throw the ball a million miles. He's super strong. He uh, reminds me a little bit of Felipe Franks, right? He's not the. Everybody looks at him, and because of the way that he looks, they think he's going to be swift. And he's he's not incredibly uh, fleet of foot. He is a guy that can. He'll pick up a first down every now and then if there's compl- plenty of he's open gone. water. But the reality of the situation is he's going to throw that football in. I think the key is going to be what they let him do. And this is a team that seemed to be so much of a three yards in a cloud of dust approach um, over the last few years, not really opening up the offense. And that's what they, they hired Gaddis to do. And then they, you try to do it a little bit. And But the risk the, the risk aversion um, in terms of whether it's quarterback fumbles, and those had been real. Shea Patterson turned the ball over. Um, those things are real. And so I'm curious to see what Milton's able to do. Um, and obviously, you mentioned we mentioned from an opt-out standpoint, Nico Collins for a health issue, uh, likely not going to be not on the Michigan roster at least, and likely not going to be there for them this year. So this is going to be an interesting one uh, from an East standpoint. And then, of course, you, do, I, I, like, do we have to talk about Rutgers or, or, or Maryland? Like, the reality is, is it's going to be uphill climbing for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think your point about Mel Tucker is really interesting. I've kind of co-opted the phrase from um, some Michigan State bloggers that it's it's year zero for him. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the, the unique circumstances he walked into, like you said, I mean, he doesn't have the type of athlete and the player that he wants for the build, right? And then you throw in the, the pandemic, you throw in the, the late start. Um, I, I think you kind of it, it's all it's all icing on the top of the cake. Whatever wins, whatever growth you see, just because I think expectations need to be low. Um, I, I'm totally with you on Ohio State. I mean, it's it's sort of a, just a story of who's going to emerge there. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see Justin Fields as a passer. Um, you know, I'd like to see him get the ball out faster. I'd like to see how he's going to use him, like how he will be used in the run game. Um, and, and things like that. But it, it's basically nitpicking with Ohio State because it's really, okay, which five-star guy is going to step up now? Um, you know, which, which elite receiver is going to be the number one guy? Um, but, you know, I, I think that one thing that's been interesting is I think people kind of forgot about how good this team is and how great this roster is just because we got distracted by the teams that have been playing. And, um, you know, Ohio State entered the AP poll lower than it was when the initial one came out. I think just out of sight, out of mind. But I really think it's only going to take a few snaps for us to remember how good the Buckeyes are this weekend against Nebraska. Yeah, and they, I was going to say, they get to tee it off against your favorite squadron, Nebraska. So this is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, I look at this, and the big key for me, uh, and listen, Chris, there's so many names on this roster that you can mention. Uh, Chris Olave, obviously one of them as a wide receiver. It's The question for me is, and this is not to downplay the fact that they do have to play the games, because you have to go out and you do have to win, but I think perhaps this virus may be Ohio State's bigger competition, because at the end of the day, how many games do you think it's going to take to actually be eligible or admitted into the playoff with no wiggle room if they have to have what's happened with Houston or what's happened with Baylor? If that happens to them and then they don't get to a, a threshold that's deemed as acceptable, perhaps, for the ACC or the Big 12 or the SEC, there is going to be a massive fight. And I talked to uh, Roddy Nabolsi, uh from UJ Sports, and he, he called it, he said, there will be a bloodletting at the end of the year with respect to the fighting between the three conferences that started earlier, SEC, Big 12, ACC, 
and then the conference is starting later with respect to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And that fighting, I think, is going to be something that is going to ramp up over the course of the year uh, or over the course of the rest of the season, uh, mind you. And I'm curious to see what that looks like. Like, do you? What do you think? Like, how many games do you think it's going to take to be eligible to well, get into the playoff? So I was going to ask you that because you said you know they need to get to a certain total. To me, it's uh, the way I've been thinking about it is to get in the same ballpark as these other teams. Like, I don't think it's necessarily Ohio State has to play every single game on their schedule because I still we still don't know if Alabama or Clemson is mm-hmm. going to get games knocked off their schedule. Um, I don't think the Pac-12 has a shot. I mean, I guess they have an outside shot, but to me, like the Big Ten, you know, again, if you get almost all of your games, and you should be in that ballpark. But I do think you know, pretty much to guarantee that you get in the conversation, like Ohio State needs to be undefeated. Yep. But to me, I don't I don't think it needs to be like, okay, you got to get to nine if they get to 10 or 11. But I do think, you know, within two games would be in the ballpark, the way you look, style points, like all those things I think are going to matter for Ohio State. I think that's, you, you just raised a point that I had not considered. And because what I'm thinking of is, because of the ability to reschedule games in these built-in bye weeks in the ACC and the Big 10, or excuse me, in the Big 12, for the SEC, I keep thinking about them getting to a number. But you mentioned it. Oh, they're they're going to be they're going to be out of those bye weeks very soon. Yeah, but you mentioned being within two games or a game of the other conferences, and I hadn't thought about it in that respect. I was always thinking about it as a hard line of you have to at least play eight games or you have to at least play X amount of games. But being within X amount of games does feel a little better than it feels. Arbitrary is not the right word. It feels, um, I, I'm trying to figure out the right word that I need to use for here, but it, 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 it seems like it makes more sense because everybody's playing, everybody's playing on a curve and it makes more sense that if you're within the threshold. So that's really, I love that you brought that up. That was really smart. Like that's, that's a great way to look at it. It's going to be interesting to see. And, and I guess keeping in the same vein with respect to how many games you get to play, or what do teams look like in games? How do you think specific players being out? Like, let's and this hasn't right. We haven't right. Haven't truly had it happen yet, uh, with the exception of Virginia Tech and Hendon Hooker, a couple other spots around the country. But how do you, what do you do if Fields is out for three games and they lose one of those three? Does that eliminate them from the conversation, knowing that when if he comes back, they're a completely different football team? Well, and, and I think that you could have, you know, again, if Nick Saban was unavailable last Saturday, it's a similar conversation. Yes. Right? Like, the play, we know the playoff takes into account availability. So that is absolutely going to be something to monitor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
So also coming back this weekend is the Mountain West. Um, uh, Not quite the same level of fanfare as the Big Ten. Um, But I do think what's going to be interesting here is I'm anticipating a few weeks of angst from Pac-12 fans who have to wait two more weeks Mm -hmm. to get football back. And I, I do think that's an interesting dynamic that we're talking about. Basically, the entire West shut down except BYU and certain schools weren't able to come back. I mean, we know that there were state and travel restrictions um, and also just like these counties in California and all of that. But I do think it's going to be a little bit weird to have Boise State and, and Fresno State and these these Mountain West teams back and then have to wait, you know, kind of on pins and needles for two more weeks for the Pac-12. Yeah, I, this is the thing, though. Like, we saw the vitriol, right, with Nebraska, with Ohio State, with those, those fan bases. We saw that vitriol. I never felt that from the Pac-12. And that's not to say they don't care about football. I just think that they're in a different headspace um, with respect to what's going on. So I, I think that, yes, they will be kind of champing at the bit to get back on the field. But the reality is this is a they're, – once, they're they're, once they're able to go, they're going to go. I am excited to see some Mountain West. Uh, Boise State, obviously, ton of losses on the offensive line. They lose one of their best defensive players in Curtis Weaver. But I love some of the pieces they have. So – if you're asking me if I'm excited for the Mountain West, the answer is yes. I'm looking forward to watching it. I will be watching it. Although I will say this, Nicole, I am. I did kind of work myself into a comfort zone when the latest game kick time was 9 o'clock. I and... knew you were going to say this. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we were missing something. It's like, it's like 11, 11, 30, 12, and you're like, I need, I need my fix. Like, where's Hawaii? Where's Boise State? Right? Like... But I knew you would be happy with like, okay, I can go to bed a little bit earlier. Yeah, I, I wasn't even going to bed earlier. I was watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> On a Saturday. Wow, how, how wild. Yeah. So I, I actually am excited about that aspect coming oh, yeah. back because I do think we've been missing missing those, those after dark games. Um, but, you know, one team that has, I think, filled a void because – I feel like every year we're, we we always know we're getting from Alabama. We know what we're getting from Clemson. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we're getting from a lot of these teams. Um, and then there's always surprise teams that we kind of fall in love with. And I feel like the country right now is falling in love with Arkansas. And I talked to Sam Pittman earlier today and just a delightful, just yep. a delightful human. He was talking about how happy he is for Barry Odom and this defense that he's had and these players. Because obviously he's doing this with the same roster that had to fire a coach midseason last year. Yep. And, and so all of those things, how he didn't realize it had been like 1,200 days since they beat, you know, like he didn't realize all of these historical marks that his Arkansas team has already obliterated. And I feel like they are so likable and there is just this this charm to this team that they've been like the revelation of this season so far and something that like everyone, all college football fans have kind of embraced. Yeah, they are they're 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 like a plucky underdog. They're a team that they're they're listen, they're they have been a hit dog for a, a while. Like I've been doing radio I started doing radio in Arkansas in with my guy, Jess Anacri. I've been doing radio down there since probably 2013. And there hasn't been a ton to cheer for. It's the 2013, remember, is the year after the Petrino motorcycle incident. It's, they go through and they get, what's my guy's name? Brett Bielema. They get him. They never get to where they really want to be. And then you see them, they fire him. You get a new coach. And it's just, it's been frustrating for them. And to go and do radio every, every every other Wednesday now in Arkansas and have them be excited is really fun. 
it's really cool to like to have to not we we spend more time talking about Arkansas than we ever have because they're a fun team, they're an exciting team. This is a team that probably feels like they should be three and one. Like we'll chalk Georgia oh, up well as they, hell. They should. We we all we all think they should be three and one. Yeah, we'll talk Georgia up just, as as the L. But the Auburn game, they did every they did just about everything they should to win that game, and, and Bo Nix gave it to them. And instead mm. of it, it, don't just don't blow the whistle. You you have the power. They use the power of review, of review so often in college football, but on plays where maybe just let it go a little longer, they consistently quick whistle, at which. And I, I will say, it seems to only hurt the defense. It, it does, and as you guys hear me on the show, you will know that I, st- I love defense. Defense is my favorite. I play defense. I love defense. I'm, it, and they, they get screwed. So I don't. It, they should be three and one. They should have recovered that fumble. It looked like to me like they recovered the fumble, and but Auburn gets the ball back. Obviously, they get to kick the field goal. Um, I think with Arkansas, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Barry Odom, I think Sam Carter deserves a shout-out as well. He's a guy that both of them, the way that they've handled these attacking, high-powered offenses by playing zone coverage, I mean, hey now, LSU, you got to get on board with the idea, the concept of zone coverage. I know people go to LSU to play man-to-man, but the reality is you can't man-to-man Ole Miss or you can't man-to-man Mississippi State, you do have to play zone to pass off crossers. That's just the way that it works. But they've done a really good job of shoring up that defense. So I'm glad that you got a chance to talk to Pittman because he is he's a coach that kind of he's made a name for himself from an industry standpoint. And then he made a name for himself from a pub from a publicity standpoint with his videos when he was at Georgia. And now he's got the opportunity to lead his own program. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's cool because you don't always see like a line coach become a head coach. And to do that and then have a turnaround and a success like this been just totally awesome to, to follow. Um, before we get into, I do want to do a little bit of um, previewing the weekend and, and sort of the, the fan bases that are panicking. But I, I did want to get your thoughts again. I, I think one of the most valuable pieces of this of this podcast is going to be the way that you fight for the player perspective on, on just about every issue. And there was one of those moments again on Monday <laughs> where TCU coach Gary Patterson was talking about this one-time transfer exception, which is coming. Everyone is expecting it to pass in January. Um, and it's going to let everyone, including football players, transfer one time and not have to sit for a year. It's a rule that already exists in basically every sport except football, basketball, hockey, and it's coming. Mm-hmm. And Gary Patterson said that he has reservations about the transfer rule. I'm worried some kids will never grow up because they never get to work through the system. Curious your immediate reaction besides, I'm sure, wanting to throw something. Yeah, uh, it's here's the thing. There, there are two ways to look at this. I, I know that there are people out there that are going to be like, well, they have to go through adversity so they'll be tougher and they'll be stronger. If that's your take then I need you to look at the entirety of the college football ecosystem and recognize how often things are made easier for these guys. And that's not working through a system. It's, it's like literally, like the, my take, like the biggest thing for me is when you transfer, so, okay, let's, let's go down how things are made easy for college football players first and foremost. Because you want to talk about staying at a place you don't want to be is the adversity that you need to grow up. Well, what about... 
picking your own classes? What about picking your own major? What about taking classes that are during practice time because it's a thing that you're interested in? What about interning? What about having the opportunity to go to office hours that are during normal meeting times? Oh, you can't do any of those things because they're shepherding you through the system that Patterson says helps you grow up. What about working? Not allowed to do that. Okay, got that. Okay, what about any like what about any of these things that help you become an adult? Here's the reality, and I, I'll say this as someone who maybe I was maybe I'm a late bloomer, maybe I am slow. But the reality for me is I wasn't an adult until I was like 26 or 27. I wasn't an adult until then. College didn't turn me into an adult. College did help prepare me to be able to get a job or at least social like it helped me with social things but college football for a college football player for a player who's i'm not even gonna we don't have to go to the top we don't have to go justin fields or trevor lawrence let's go right in the middle of a guy who's a rotational offensive lineman he's not going to the nfl he does not get to intern he does he because he's got to be for him to be a part of the rotation he has to be at school all summer he doesn't get to intern he's got to work through all this stuff but he can only major in something that ends before 2.30. If they're me- it ends before 2 if their meetings start at 2.30. So whatever those classes are that fit into that block, that's what his major is going to be. And if you go to any school's athletic website and you look up the players and you look at the majors, you're going to see a cluster, not just football players, but of every athlete that are in a couple specific majors because they fit the time pretty well. And I think that's not a part, the, but it, how does that work from a system standpoint? A system that forces you to study hall, that makes sure you, that picks the classes for you, that well, they will walk you to class to make sure that you go. That doesn't seem very adult to me, Nicole. Well, well, but also, I mean, and, and here's just the, the obvious reaction I have is, I mean, deciding to endure something that you didn't sign up for or work for or, you know, play for a coach that you didn't commit to, whatever. Yeah, there's like there's something to be said. I mean, everyone works for a boss that didn't hire them and things like that later in life. But the fairness argument or the the system is that the system says that their head coaches can leave and they don't have to sit out for a year. They don't have that adversity. So therefore, like it's it's it is a system that works, but just doesn't work for them in that one area. So I, I think that's why this rule, I think, like from a public standpoint, everyone is on board with it. Everyone. Everyone except these coaches who are, you know, roster management's going to be hard. We get it. It's, you know, again, it's going to be the closest thing we've ever had to free agency, which, by the way, we kind of are already at with these waivers getting approved Mm -hmm. in, like, wild, you know, like, almost everybody's getting them. So, like, yeah, it's going to make your life a little bit more difficult. But also, you guys are the ones who change jobs. You guys are paid a lot of money to, to handle these rosters. And... You guys were the ones blocking players from certain places yep. and, and basically creating the problems that led to this rule needing to change. So it's just it's hard to have a lot of sympathy for the coaches in these situations. And like you said, I mean, the system is designed to make all of these decisions for these athletes. So, you know, again, just adding one element where uh, where an athlete has a little bit more power is a good thing. Yeah, I, maybe you have to be, I don't know, nice to them. Um, you, you don't bury a guy. Maybe, you maybe, maybe, maybe you have to build a relationship with them and not just tell them what to do and expect them to be cool with it. Yeah, like, like you, you, lo- you maybe you lose your ability to take a guy who plays fullback and then put him at defensive line because you don't use a fullback anymore because you got new coaches and you put him at defensive line and you tell them either do this or you either do this 
you transfer to an approved list of schools or you take a medical hardship. Those are things that happen. And I don't think a lot of folks are exposed to that because a lot of folks interaction with college football is the star players, not the average player. That's why I like to talk about just the middle of the pack guy because he's the bulk of college football. And the last thing that I will say is I don't think, I think people believe that transferring is some sort of a willy nilly decision, but the reality is it is hard. It's a hard decision because there are ultimately what I've found there are two, maybe three things that lead to, there are probably three things, or let's call it four things that lead to transfers. I'm, I forgot about family. Family is a, is a big part of why guys transfer. I, one of my best friends in school, Nick Cangelosi, he ended up at Georgetown, uh, but was at UNC as a quarterback, a backup quarterback. We loved him. Everybody on the team loved him. He had a really rough time when he decided to transfer to Georgetown, but he really, he has a twin brother who played basketball in Philly. And he really missed his twin brother. And so he had, he had to make a decision for him that was really tough. Do I leave these friends that I spent a year with and go be closer to my twin? And that's what he did and he was better for it, but it was a hard decision to make. You throw in the fact that there are guys who, they hate the school. When they, what they show you about the school when you're getting recruited is the best parts of it. And then you get there and sometimes it's not as advertised and you can make really, really good friends, but still hate where you are. And you want to be either whether it's closer to home or you want to be in a place that's a little bit different atmosphere and you go and you make a change. Like they don't, they don't tell you when you, when you go to a school, or like, especially if you have a coach, I'm not, tyrant is a little bit of a strong word, but there are a lot of guys who are incredible sticklers about things. They don't really tell you those things when you go on your visit and then you get there and you're not allowed to wear a hat or you can't have an earring or you can't do any of these things. And you're like, this is not what I was, I was sold a bill of goods. And then the other part is playing. Well, like, yeah, I was just going to say a lot of those reasons you're outlining happen to regular students who yeah. decide to transfer. And it's no problem. Also, it's no problem. You, they can, you can go. And I, I think that playing time is also important. I think system is, I think system is more important even than playing time. Because if you're in a system that fits, that works for you, you feel like you can earn your playing time. And, but when the system changes or things are different, now all of a sudden, or they use you in a way that's not conducive to your skill set. I think Justin Fields is a prime example. I, I know I don't, I don't always use, I don't want to use big names, for example, but Justin Fields is a player that we all know. He was not being used in a system that was comparable to his talent level or his abilities. And so he felt like he had to leave. And there are other players that fit the same way. I, I thought about transferring a lot when I was at UNC. I had multiple schools reach out through channels, through coaches, because they weren't allowed to talk to me. Multiple schools reach out and say, hey, man, if he wants to come play here, we recruited him out of high school, and he didn't want to come here. But if he wants to come and play here, he can come and play. Between strength coaches and other position coaches being like, hey, talk to my guy at, at Hampton, talk to folks at Central, talk to folks here. My guy, when my guy Nick transferred to Georgetown, he was like, hey, man, if you come here, you can probably play. But I liked UNC enough to stay and I liked my friends enough to stay. But I'm a unique case because I was someone who wanted to go to UNC. And if I didn't play football in college, I would still go to UNC. That's not the case for a lot of these players. They go to a school because of the scheme, because of the system. And yep. That's a that's some that's a reality of the situation, and they can say choose the school all you want, but can you imagine if Trevor Lawrence loved West Point and ended up there because he loved yeah. the school? That's not gonna that doesn't make any sense. He goes to a place that's gonna help his career, and his career is going to the going to the next level, and so it's just it's, there's a there's a, a confluence of issues. It's very it's very frustrating. I don't want to I don't want to. It's episode one. I don't want to lose my mind already. 
uh, I, 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 I'm trying to like, I'm trying to keep it in. So let's get, let's, let's go back and let's, let's talk about the concern, the panic, sort of a panic index hour back. And let's like, let's go. I think we can go back and forth on these, right? Let's, let's start with UNC, like losing to Florida state. They were somehow considered a top five team. I don't think anyone thought that they were actually the fifth best team in the country. Um, but they're coming off this loss to Florida State. They've got NC State at home at noon on ESPN this weekend. Heading into this game, how panicked should Tar Heel fans be? I don't think they should be that panicked. I, I, I mean, I think clearly losing to Florida State is not great. They're not a great team. But North Carolina had some holes. And they had some holes defensively. They hadn't really been clicking on offense, and I don't think it was terribly surprising that they dropped a game like that. Sure. So what's your number? You said 1 through 10, so what's your number? Um, Okay, so 10 is like burn everything down, fire your defensive line coach, apparently, four games into the season. Um, (laughs) I would say like a 3. Okay, I think 3 is right. I think I'm going to go 5, and and my 5 is not based on UNC because they're the team that I thought they were, which is why I thought Florida State would win the ball game with their new triple option offense. When you play that sort of an offense, defense needs to be disciplined. This North Carolina defense is anything but disciplined. So the five, I'm giving them, I'm going two points higher than you because I'm going with the panic is what's NC State bringing to the table? They've got a true number one wide receiver in, in Amika Mezzi. I, I love Kerry Angeline. I'm finally seeing the guy that I thought was going to ball out at USC. So the panic is about what NC State's bringing to the table with a couple of running backs and, and, Don, and Zonovan Knight, not Donovan, Zonovan Knight and Ricky Parsons Jr. as well. Uh, the question, though, the, the only reason I didn't go higher is because Devin Leary is uh, – we're, we're going to have to watch Bailey Hockman do this instead of Devin Leary, who I absolutely love. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit five just right, right down the middle. You should be worried, especially in a rivalry game that NC State has played well in over the last decade and change. So this is going to be an interesting one for me. So I'm going to go five. You go three. All right, who we got next? All right, let's go Auburn. So – this has been a very weird season for Auburn. We went through the Arkansas asterisk W. Mm-hmm. So Auburn goes to Ole Miss, gets Lane Kiffin and that offense, noon SEC Network on Saturday. You've also got an issue here where Bo Nix is clearly either regressing or at least not getting any better than last year. So you're going to be asking him to keep up with this Ole Miss offense, and I just think it's not going to work. I think the panic level here is probably – at a seven, maybe getting, maybe inching up closer. I mean, this is a frustrated fan base. Yeah, all burn it up. Like, this is one of those things where, like, I, I feel good at a seven. I feel like you lose this game. Now you move to an eight, closer to a nine. I think the Bo Nix situation is uh, a combination of not really getting better because he didn't have he didn't have spring football. So the spring is where you're supposed to take these strides and get better. The game's... And then that helps make the game slow down for you. And he didn't get a spring, and that's tough. Well, well, and, and, and what about Chad Morris? I mean, you could not have had a worse Saturday if you were yeah. Chad Morris because of what Arkansas is doing without you and then Bo Nix regressing. <laughs> yeah, you, let's, you, put a, you put a bow on it. That's really, really uh, – no, no pun intended. But, yeah, you, that's, that's really interesting. I, I, for me, I, I, I'll sit with you right at that seven. I think that – here's the reality. Auburn is – Especially as long as Alabama's having success, Auburn's going to be frustrated. And then you go out and you lose to, to South Carolina, and that's in, increasingly frustrating. You, and obviously, we all saw what happened against Arkansas. They can't feel good about that. They, they have the possibility. I mean, 
of sitting at one and three, and that's that's rough. You're at two and two, you feel a little better, but the reality is I look at them and this is a team that is going to have to push themselves over the edge to get they got they've got to they've got to make a, a, a sharp turn. Uh, they got to figure out a way to consistently run the football, and I don't mean yards per game. Uh, which is what they are doing. Like they've revved up the running game in, between the Arkansas and the South Carolina games. I mean, on a drive-by-drive basis, be able to run the football. That's the part that's going to be interesting to me to watch. And maybe that means Bo Nix is going to have to be a bigger part of that so that they can truly use the misdirection. But this is going to this is a team that I feel like is out of seven because this season isn't going the way they want it. And I know they lost guys to the next level, but the key for them is going to be how do we find not just explosive plays in the pass game, but how can we get four yards, four yards, four yards, four yards all the time offensively? So let's take the panic index to the group of five. Let's go to UCF. We are not used to seeing this coming off of two consecutive losses to Tulsa and now at Memphis in one of the best games of last weekend. Now they've got Tulane at home, 2 p.m. Eastern. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I to me, like, UCF was never going to be undefeated every single year and, like, just constantly sustaining at that level where they were just far and away the best group of five team in the country. But I do think there's concern. I mean, they got rid of their false start problems, but, again, you know, you, they don't normally lose to Memphis. They finally break that streak there. Um, but to me, I, I don't know, because I guess I just didn't expect them to forever – sit at that perch so maybe it's a six for me i'm not sure well here's the here's the thing i think that there are two there are two scores to give here there is a score that i have which is probably a three or four i'm gonna call it a four and then there's a score that ucf fans have because they haven't lost back-to-back games since 2016 and i think that's higher closer to an eight i think so i'll kind of try to meet in the middle like around a six ish but here's the reality it wasn't. It, it it doesn't good good time. It, listen, it doesn't it doesn't last always, and but you see this team not being able to handle the adversity, and defensively they are not anywhere near where they have been in the past, and you see was a backup quarterback arguing with a kicker after the game. I know that story got blown up. I don't want to blow it out of proportion here. Sometimes guys argue. That's fine, uh, but guess what? shouldn't have been in a game where you had to score that many points to win and that's a defensive issue and that's a defensive problem and so I think that for fans who have kind of gotten used to the the fat years to go through a year that's a little bit leaner is a little tougher and that's why they're higher than I am so we'll meet them in that middle all right let's do a combined (laughs) let's do let's do Texas and Oklahoma together because you know, they both were coming into Red River on a loss. They both clearly are flawed teams. I think the situation in Austin is basically like a 9. 9.5. Everyone is angry. This Eyes of Texas situation speaks to me that, you know, Tom Herman's got some locker room issues because he's not really going to bat for his players. I don't know how this resolves. If it resolves at the end of the season with the coaching change, whatever it might be. But to me, that is a nine. Oklahoma is just sort of like a sirens are flashing. They are maybe not, you know, that offensive juggernaut that we're used to seeing. But Spencer Rattler seems to be getting better. I don't know. They still might be eventually 
the Big 12 rep or champion. Um, but to me, it's just not one of those years for them. But we're not really panicking. It's just, it's just okay, they still need to get better defensively. They've got a young freshman quarterback that they need to get better. It's not the same as plugging in a veteran guy like a Jalen Hurts or whatever it might be that we were used to just kind of plug and play with Lincoln Riley. It's just not one of those, you know, record-breaking yeah. years. But I, I don't know if I have a number. Maybe it's like a like a six. Yeah. But I think we've got, you know, all all everything that could be going wrong is going wrong at Texas. So here's what I got. I got – I think Oklahoma is probably – for me, they're probably at a four. They knew that they didn't, they weren't going to win a championship this year, and so they're at a four because they're frustrated with Rattler, but they also saw the good in Rattler. Where you get benched, you come back in, and you lead your team to a win. They know he's going to be good, and they love Lincoln Riley. So they're only four is even too high. I think they're probably at a three. They're at a te- okay, oh. but here here's the thing: they you can say they don't expect to win a championship, but they do. Sure. But not like a national championship. The Big, but tw- Big Twelve. And they could still win the Big Twelve, but I think they're at a three. They're not panicking right now. They're like, you know what? This is going to be kind of a thin year, but we're going to be okay. But I do think that Alex Grinch is probably at a 10 because he cannot understand how to get the guys to do the things that he's asking them to do. And so if you want to talk about anybody that's panicking and frustrated, I think it's probably it's probably Alex Grinch. Oh, and also it's another guy. It's, it's, it's Chris Ash. I think they're both at 10s because for different reasons. For Alex Grinch, the amount of missed assignments, missed, the amount of missed assignments and missed alignments, that's got to drive him insane. And for the first time, I got they for the first time, and I know they don't usually ISO the defensive coordinator that often, but I got an ISO. They got they gave me a nice ISO shot of him yelling underneath his mask, and I was like, he, I haven't seen that, I haven't seen him be this this yeah. animated. He looked like Will Muschamp out there. He was very frustrated. And then also attended Texas with Chris Ash, and his issue, he's got two issues, and Texas has two issues, and they haven't really been able to solve them. They haven't had a real a real solid pass rusher since Jackson Jeffcoat. That's a while ago, and which means that he has to use blitz and pressures and stunts to generate quarterback pressure. And when you're calling dogs, when you're calling blitzes, you leave yourself vulnerable. And the way that those vulnerabilities are softened or fixed or eased is with good tackling. Knowing the ball has to come out early so I make good tackles. It's something that a a team like Michigan State, when they were at their height under uh, D'Antonio, they tackled really well. They had open field tackles, because they were bringing that A-gap fire, open field tackles were always made, which means the team, maybe they do pick up three or they pick up six yards, but they're not able to break it and turn it into big plays. We saw Texas's bad tackling a year ago. You get Chris Ash, and now all of a sudden, it's still bad tackling. And for me, I look at the bad tackling. They're, they're, they're where, Texas, for the most part, is where they're supposed to be. They just don't get guys down on the ground. And I think that also brings you up to a 10 from a panic level. Um, overall, with Texas, I think that, and I do, listen, I talked to uh, Chip Brown from uh, Orange, is it Orange Bloods, I think? And, yeah, Orange Bloods. And I don't know that panic is the right word for them. I think frustration for Texas as an overall program is the right word. Where you are a team that has a senior quarterback who started a ton of games and he has he's had one game where he was completely under 50% passing the loss to TCU and then another game where up until late he was under 50% passing against Oklahoma that's not good and their run game is 
up and down, up and down, up and down. And we talked about that with um, Auburn with this. Sometimes they have some big plays that look good, and sometimes they just can't move the ball on the ground. Uh, Texas has the same issue, and I love Brennan Eagles. He's he is. Listen, I'm a Brennan Eagles stand. I love him. They've got to figure out a way to make the, the offense juice, but defensively is where the real panic is. I think the frustration comes with not being able to win games that they thought they should win, uh, whether it's, again, TCU, whether it's Oklahoma, or you go back to a year ago, and we're looking at the reality with uh, the LSU game where they're frustrated with that game, and then LSU obviously erases some of the frustration by going on and winning a national championship, but the, but the Louisiana State, the Iowa State game, uh, there's frustration there, and that's a real frustration for them because they're like, why aren't we beating these teams? So, I don't know, Auerbach. Like, I, 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 I look at that, and I think that certainly, at least this week, because we we are looking for looking forward, not backwards. Um, with Texas, they gotta they have a break. No, excuse me, they have Baylor. Not a break. They have to go out and win. You lose the Baylor now, all of a sudden that's three in a row. You do probably start to panic that the wheels are falling off of your uh, of your wagon. And Oklahoma, they got a TCU team. And talking to Brian Estridge, uh, the voice of the Horn Frogs, he's like, they're going to bounce back. And guess what? They lose to Iowa State, and then they bounce back against Texas. We'll see what they bring to the table, right? Yeah, I, I think both those games are going to be potentially interesting. Um, things will be pretty dire with Texas if you lose to a Baylor team that basically hasn't been able to practice yeah. for this whole last couple weeks. So I, I think let's wrap up the panic index with, I think, the most interesting panicked fan base which is Tennessee so Tennessee has Alabama this weekend and that's the 3:30 CBS can and you were talking about this earlier about part of the frustration with Texas is losing games you think you should win Tennessee losing to Kentucky particularly the way they did it I think is what is really kind of leading into this frenzy and this is a fan base that Listen, I went to Michigan, so I understand. It's very wildly unrealistic at all times. And so you go from really big highs where you're thinking, oh, this is a year we can we, we can beat Georgia. We, you know, we're really talking them up into that and believing that they are potentially able to close that gap. Then you go from that to the Kentucky game, and now you've got Alabama. While things are dire, while you've already fired your D-line coach, during a pandemic, four <laughs> games into the season. I think this is as close to a 10 as you can get. Even if, like, overall the season ends up being what we expected, I think the fan base panic level and also the coaching staff by making a change is, like, a 9.7. Yeah, I, I, think that, I, think you're, I think you're right on with it being a little bit higher for the fan base and for the, for the coaching staff for what things look like. Uh, I probably an eight. I think I just I'll go. I'll give them both an eight. But here's the reality. I'm me as a like a, someone who covers college football nationally. I'm at a two. I didn't expect them to beat Georgia. What I wanted to see out of the Georgia game, and I, th- I talked about it on College Sports Now. What I expected out of them in the Georgia game, show me that you can run with the Bulldogs for 35 minutes, and they did that. Georgia's going to win out. They got a better roster. In the last 25 minutes, they absolutely hammered Tennessee. But show me that you can run for 35 minutes, and then guess what? The next year it goes from 35 to 45, and then you, you lose that game in the fourth quarter, and it's a lot tighter. And then the year after that, now you have an opportunity to win. But I, that's the way football works in my mind. I want to see that you can run with these guys for X amount of times. Against Kentucky, uh, we, Kentucky is the opposite of Auburn to me. They're a team that 
they feel like they should be undefeated. <laughs> and they they didn't get it done. So the last two games for Kentucky have been teams walking into a hornet's nest. And I don't think Tennessee ever stood a chance in the game against Kentucky. And that kind of showed straight out of the gate. So you know, Kentucky's a good football team. And they play angry and they play violent. And I, and I think that that is... For a Tennessee team that does have young players in place, I know that they played a lot of football because they had to play as freshmen, but those are just still sophomores. I don't think they understand the anger of a team that's a little older like Kentucky that is already mad with how they, they dropped the ball in the first two games. So I didn't expect them to win that ball game. So my level, again, I'm very low on the panic. But well, I, 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 That's why I think they're fun. Yeah. Like, I'm not that concerned about Tennessee. But, they, but the fan base. They're upset. They are very upset. They are upset because... They got this glimmer of hope. Oh my gosh! If, if I, if I, I, I'm, listen, I'm showing my cards. I'm glad the win streak's over because everybody kept talking about the win streak, the win streak, the win streak, and I was like, listen, guys, it doesn't matter if you're beating up tomato cans, and it's good. It's great confidence builder. Now they recognize how much work they have to do, and I hope, and this is what I hope for Tennessee fans that listen. I understand the initial panic. But now you recognize where you have to do the work. And the work is you have to figure out a way to consistently get to the quarterback with your front four. You have to find ways that Henry Toto isn't making every single tackle for this entire football team. You have to be able to consistently run the football and you got to find, it can't be a, a wish and a prayer when Garantano throws the ball down the field. It, you got to find ways that you have guys that are consistently open. So it's going to be very interesting to see. But at least they know the work now. Let's see him do the work. And I think that's going to be something that's interesting about Pruitt is, is he going, I wonder what it look, what the work looks like to him or what he sees when he looks at this football team. I like that as a way to wrap the show. We, we, we know the work and now it's time to do it. We will be doing this on Power Hour every Tuesday on this feed. Andy Staples will be back tomorrow. Ari Wasserman will be back with Andy on Friday. We will see you next Tuesday. For Michael Felder, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and thanks for listening.